Good morning, and welcome to the Donuts and Divorce podcast, where in the early morning hours, fueled with some strong coffee and donuts, we tackle the hard topics about families going through a separation or divorce. I'm Dorothy O'Neill, your host. I'm a partner and founding member of BOK Law and Mediation Services, located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I practice in the field of family law. I also serve as a neutral mediator in divorce and separation cases, and I'm a trained collaborative divorce practitioner, which means I can offer a unique divorce process used to settle cases outside of court, listening to the specific needs of the family. Today, we are going to talk about how to avoid what we're calling the custody crazies, which is basically the do's and don'ts of custody cases. And this morning, I am joined by Alexandra Koselko, who is one of the partners of BOK Law and Mediation. And we wanted to kind of start off by saying, please don't think that in any way we are calling you crazy if you happen to engage in some of the behaviors that we talk about today. That is nowhere near our intention. Um, these are just some ex- examples of what we have seen in a lot of our custody cases that our own clients have actually complained to us about that the other co-parent is doing and it's kind of driving them crazy that the other co-parent does this. Um, these are some examples of issues we've dealt with in court quite a bit and that the judges didn't really appreciate uh, when parents were kind of acting in this way. So again, we're not trying to be offensive in any way. These are just examples of behaviors to make maybe steer clear of, um, and and also some behaviors to maybe focus a little bit more on. Um, you know, it's meant to be insightful. It's meant to probably be a little bit of a kick in the gut, um, but that's okay too. And that's why you're kind of listening and learning and educating yourself on some of these issues. So um, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but we're, we're hoping it helps out in some way. Um, but I wanted to start off by kind of talking a little bit about what's called ACEs, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences. It's A-C-E-S. And this is a little bit of a reminder as to even why we're doing this episode. So I've talked about this before, but ACEs is a CDC study that was done a long, long time ago, um, but it still applies today. And basically what it is, is the CDC did this study about all of these traumatic events that occur in childhood that can lead to an increased risk of mental and even physical conditions when that person becomes an adult. Um, and it lists all of these potential traumatic events, some of which are those that you could probably think of, which is like death early on um, in a family, suicide, violence, neglect, abuse. But another one of the potential events is divorce. And so we take that very seriously, which is why we try to help our clients um, put in place good behaviors to help children go through that transition. Um, if you want more information on this, uh, the CDC website, if you just Google CDC um ACEs, there is a plethora of information out there. And in particular, the main landing page for that, um, all it talks about is parenting on the very front page. So there's a lot of good resources on that website and other information for you to kind of check out if you want to. But again, I'm bringing this up because this is why we are kind of doing this episode as a reminder that you really want to avoid these behaviors because they can really impact your children and be detrimental in the future to them if you are having this kind of volatile, hostile co-parenting relationship with your ex. So to start... um, 
We wanted to start off with kind of the communication and interactions with your ex because that's a big one, obviously. That is something that you're going to have to transition to and get used to having on a regular basis. But our first like don't is do not put your children in the middle um, when it comes to conflict with your ex. And there's a lot to unpack even with, you know, this subcategory. We see parents putting children in the middle all of the time. And sometimes they don't even realize they're doing it. So it's not necessarily malicious, um, but they're so wrapped up in the conflict and trying to kind of validate their position or their feelings that they kind of, say too much or do too much to involve their children. So here are just a few examples. Um, You know, telling your children your version of why you and your spouse or your ex or your partner are separating. And some parents really kind of have this need or desire to have their children hear and understand their point of view as to why the relationship ended. And not only is that really unnecessary, but it can also be really damaging. I mean, what you're looking to do when you are doing that is just your own validation, right? You're looking for your child to see your point of view, which, you know, puts them in a really rough position. I mean, if you're looking for that validation, certainly there are other manners in which you can go get that validation from friends or, you know, family or even through therapy, which we always suggest. But your children is, you know, they're not the ones that you need to go get that validation from. Um, So what we say is rather work with your ex to create a joint narrative to tell your children about the separation. That actually builds some trust between you and your ex because what you're doing is you're sitting the children down together, you're keeping calm, You're sharing that joint narrative so you know exactly what your children are hearing from both of you. You kind of allow their reaction, you know, which includes kind of maybe some rough emotions from your kids. And that's okay. You just sit with them through those emotions and then you reinforce your love for them. I mean, that's the best way that you can actually tell them that there's going to be a separation. Um, and it also shows them that you and your ex are putting them first, that you that your child can still rely on the two of you to come together and sit together in times where the child needs both of you. Um, so that kind of shows them your dedication to work together for their benefit. So we really, really suggest, you know, doing that joint narrative to them as early on as you can and not try to get to them first before the other parent does to kind of tell them your version. Absolutely. And I think that it also shows um, the kids that parents are still a united front. And so it's not pitting one parent against each other and, you know, kids are smart and sometimes they themselves even do that as part of a divorce and separation. And so starting that off, showing that the parents are together and united on these big things, I do think is is also beneficial for the kids. Absolutely. So the next thing we would say, you know, is, is a big don't um, is don't talk negatively about the other parent to the children. Um, And I also specify also in front of the children, because sometimes parents either intentionally or unintentionally are having these conversations, maybe with a friend or another family member, either knowing or not knowing that the kids are in the room or around the corner and listening. And so they're like, well, I wasn't talking to the children, but they're also not careful enough to recognize kids have big ears. And sometimes, you know, even when you don't want to, they're listening to things that maybe they shouldn't. So 
it's okay if you need to have those venting sessions and, and have those conversations with the right people, but just be very cognizant of where you're having those conversations, how you're having them, um, and that that's removed from a situation where the kids could hear it. Obviously, if you're speaking negatively about the other parent directly to the child, that is going to be problematic, um, both from a co-parenting perspective, but also particularly from a litigation perspective. You know, judges do not like to hear that. That is a factor that they will consider when rendering a decision on custody. So if it's something that you may have done in the past, let's rein it in and don't do it moving forward. Um, if you're newly separated, start it off on the right foot. Don't go down that path. Even if, you know, maybe the kid says, your, your child says something to you negative about the other parent. There's something they don't like, they're unhappy. That's okay. I mean, kids, kids are allowed to express their emotions and you can validate those emotions without going down that path and speaking negatively yourself about, about the, the other parent. Um, the other thing that kind of goes in conjunction with this is also being careful about what other people are saying to or in front of your children. Uh, you know, I recognize that you obviously cannot control your family and friends. It's not your job. Everyone's an adult. They have to, you know, make their own choices. But you should be encouraging your family, your friends, anyone who is spending a lot of time with the kids to follow your lead on this, to not be having those conversations, not be speaking negatively to or in front of the kiddos, because you know, frankly, in a court of law, the court is going to look at you and say, well, why did you let that happen? You know, why were you allowing your family member, your friend to speak negatively about the other parent in front of the kids? Even though it's not you saying it, if you expose the child to that, you could be, you know, responsible for that behavior in, you know, custody litigation. So just be very careful of it. Nobody is perfect. We are certainly not sitting here today saying that, you know, you you can never in a single 18 years of your child's life say a single negative word about the other parent. I mean, intact families, that happens. You get upset with your your spouse or the, your, your partner and you, you say something. Um, so it's OK if it's happened, but you really, really need to minimize it and, you know, just try to focus on the positive. So that's the do in conjunction with this is do encourage your child to have a positive relationship with your ex talk about the good things, you know, oh, they had a really great time doing this activity or, oh, you went on a trip with, with, you know, the other parent and you had a wonderful time and reminding the child of those things. Oh, remember three months ago when dad, you know, came to your soccer game and surprised you or something like that. So, you know, being there and, and encouraging that relationship really, really goes a long way. And it's going to be hard at first. It's not, especially if this is a new separation the relationship with your ex is strained. It's it's not going to be easy or it's not going to be your default to go to the positive. But making that step, do you know, thinking about those positive things, it is going to do wonders for your child and their relationship with both parents. Um, because at the end of the day, I think parents are most concerned about their child's overall well-being and having a positive relationship, encouraging that positive relationship with both parents is only going to benefit your child. Absolutely. And one example I give, this happened several years ago. I actually um, went to trial on a case and it was a very volatile co-parenting relationship. And I represented the father. Um, the mother actually did not have an attorney, 
but um, we presented all types of evidence of the mother really talking negative about dad. And I'm not talking just like little things. This was like really, really, really aggressively um, negative things that she was saying to the children about dad, so much so that the child felt the need to record mother saying these awful, terrible things about father. Um, And it was tricky, but we did actually get that in as evidence. And the outcome of that particular case, I know this is a little bit of an out there example, but the outcome was that mom's custody was completely suspended. So you know, really take this to heart that you have to be so very careful with what you're saying around children. Um, Okay, so one of the other things that we suggest is do not act awkward at the children's functions. And I know this is kind of, maybe you're thinking it's a little bit silly, but this is a big impact because depending on your child's age, you do not want to embarrass them in front of their friends, their friends, family members, and the like. So basically, you know, if your child has some type of function and it could be a sporting event, it could be a school play, it could be anything really, um, you know, we suggest that you try to maybe sit together and support the child together um, and show them that you're supporting them. I mean, that can really go a long way. If you cannot, then my other suggestion is, you know, absolutely no glaring at each other from across the room, no walking past the other saying some, you know, negative things so other people can hear that and then talk about it and gossip behind your back. Um, no pettiness, really. Um, because, you know, that's, that is super embarrassing for a child because now other families are seeing it. Um, they might go home and talk about it to your child's friends who then might report it back to your child. And all you're doing is adding stress to your child's life by doing that. So just be very cognizant of your behaviors at these functions. And one other thing to take this just a little bit further, I always tell parents, please, please, please don't ever put your children in a situation where after some type of extracurricular activity, again, could be sporting, could be some type of school function. And if you're, if you're sitting at opposite sides from your co-parent of the gym, like, or, you know, the arena or whatever it may be, please don't make it so awkward that the child has to figure out which parent they have to go to first when they kind of come out. Um, that is just not something that you need to put on their their shoulders. So even if that means after the event, the two of you kind of stand somewhat close to one another so the child can just go in one general direction, but keep that in mind. Please consider it from their perspective as to, you know, who do I go to first and am I going to offend the other parent? And it, again, just added stress for a child that they simply do not need. Absolutely. And don't get so worked up too. I think sometimes parents think like, okay, well, this is my day. So, you know, it's all about me and, you know, because it's my custody day. Well, you know, obviously if you have, if the child has to go somewhere right after, that's one thing. But if not, there's no problem with the child going up to both parents saying hello, giving hugs, you know, if it's a game and they won, congratulations, or hey, you'll get them next time if they didn't. So, you know, make it about the child. It's not about, you know, mom's time, dad's time, or this parent's time. Um, it's about what's going to be best for your for your kiddo. That's a great point, Alex. I know a lot of times people 
get so almost robotic or regimented in these custody orders and they can lose sight of what's the big picture here? How are we raising this child together? Because you still are, even though you're separated and abiding by a custody order. But I love that point that, you know, you still want to foster, you know, a great upbringing upbringing for the well-being of the child. Absolutely. Um, And so the next one we would offer to you may, you know, some people may hear this and think, oh yeah, this is a no brainer um, is don't argue in front of the kiddos, you know, ever. But I don't just define argue, I guess, as a big screaming match where you're on opposite sides of the room and yelling at each other. Um, it could be making, you know, passive aggressive comments, being a little snarky, um, you know, glaring at someone, all of the even physical cues that you can offer that there's clearly animosity between you and your co-parent. And that can be in person. It can be, you know, over the phone. It can be at custody exchanges, at activities like we're talking about. Um, Just keep all of that non-existent to the extent that you can. And again, no one expects you to be perfect. But if you feel yourself getting into an argument, you're starting down that path. Take a deep breath, say, you know, we can talk about this later. We can talk about it, you know, maybe you use our family wizard or a co-parenting app, or you use email or text messages or even phone calls, but at a time where the kids are not there, not going to bear witness to that, take it to a different time and location so that they're not exposed to this level of stress and tension because they're going to internalize that. They're, they're It's only going to cause them more stress, more anxiety. And I don't think any parent wants that for their kids. That's right. And um, a lot of this is, is, you know, those interactions between co-parents, these do's and don'ts that we've been talking about. Um, to add to that, and I think it kind of goes without saying, is making sure that your child doesn't have to be the that go between between the parents. Um, you know, if you need to communicate with the co-parent, yeah, it's easy just to not. Like if you're just annoyed with your other co-parent, sure. The easy way out is to tell your kid, okay, go tell your dad or go tell your mom about this. But that's not their job, right? That's your job as the co-parent. Um, so if you need to communicate about schedules or issues or events, work directly with your ex rather than asking your kids to be the messenger. And as Alex kind of mentioned, you know, there are a lot of communication ways out there now that um, you don't have to pick up the phone if you don't want to. You can certainly communicate through the apps that Alex was referencing or texting or email or something along those lines. But don't make your kids be the go-between. So moving on to kind of like another category. So again, we just kind of talked about the do's and don'ts of the interactions and communications between you and your ex. Um, We're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about life for the children in each of your respective homes. Um, Not a shocker that, you know, when you move from one house uh, as a family to two separate homes, that can be a lot to take in for both the co-parents and the children. Um, But it, it can be helpful to try to preserve as much consistency as possible um, from the house that the children know as a whole family to your separate houses. So we say do try to keep some consistency for the children to the extent possible. Maybe develop a routine with your child. Um, 
once the separation occurs and try to stick to that routine as much as possible, you know, that could include things like homework is done at this time and then dinner is at this time. Um, maybe certain activities are done at a certain time and, and just try to support them in that way by keeping that routine. Even though a lot of kids will fight you on routines, it actually is shown to be very good for them to have some type of routine. Um, and some parents, you know, do it right and they can communicate well and they like to have similar routines in both of their households um, to try and help with that consistency. Other parents just aren't there yet or they're not in a position to have that level of communication or cooperation. And again, we're not saying that's a big problem or that's anybody's fault. Um, you can't control, you know, the schedule or the, or the routine at the other parent's home, but you can have a conversation about it and say, hey, maybe we can get on the same page with this. Um, you know, what time are you doing bedtime at your house so that I can maybe look at that? Um, you know, that's a different approach than saying, well, it's eight o'clock bedtime at my house and you need to do that at your house. Those are two very different things, right? So maybe opening up that conversation a little bit and saying, what's your general, like, what are you co- able to do? Because every Every parent is juggling different things, right? And maybe bedtime has to be pushed to 8.30 or 9 because that's the schedule based on when somebody gets home from work and by the time they get homework done and and dinner and baths and whatever. Um, So show a little bit of grace if you can and say, hey, where are you kind of averaging at when it comes to bedtime? I just want to make sure that we're, you know, mimicking each other as much as possible. Yeah, and in addition to, you know, trying to get on the same page about routines, It also is helpful um, to be on the same page about things like rules, expectations for the kiddos, discipline. Um, And I know that's tough because it could be that you weren't on the same page about any of these things. And that's one of the reasons that you separated. Um, But, you know, you can't force the other parent to be on the same page as you. But like with the routine, you can have those conversations. You can start talking about What's going on at one house versus the other house when it comes to rules, expectations, discipline, so that at least you know what's going on. Um, maybe you don't agree and you have two different perspectives. And so you are going to have two different you know, approaches to discipline at the two houses. But at least you know what's going on. You can try to gauge what you are do- doing versus what the other parent is doing um, to the extent you can get a little closer together on some of those things. I think it's easier for a child because it would be hard to go to one house and these are the rules and things you have to follow, but then they're different in another house. And, you know, a child who's already adjusting to living in two separate houses now has two different sets of rules and expectations. And here are the consequences if I don't follow the rules. Um, Just remembering all of that is a lot for a kid, let alone uh, understanding why that is the way that it is. So we understand it might not be possible, but to the extent you can at least try to get a little closer together or have those tough conversations about, okay, well, this this happened and our child did something we're not particularly pleased with. How are we going to handle it? Can we agree on a course of action? Um, Sometimes that comes from the school. Like I have parents who... The school calls because they cheated on a test or did something that they, you know, weren't supposed to. And it's how are we going to handle this? Again, it's can you put up that united front and be on the same page as your co-parent? Because that's what's going to be best for your child in the long run, if that's at all possible. And it's not going to be easy. It's not always simple to have those conversations, to have that communication But trying to remember that at the end of the day, your child is your top priority for both of you, 
hopefully will make those conversations just a little bit easier. And I would also say, you know, we, we do stress that consistency is important, but I don't want you to get so wrapped up in it that it becomes, again, very regimented and almost a, a, a source of contention between you and your co-parent. Also remember that, you know, what you're doing in your household is just one perspective of parenting that your child is seeing. And it's actually a good thing for your child to see another type of stylistic parenting from your ex. And even psychologists will tell you that that does make a child a little more well-rounded seeing those different stylistic behaviors, so long as they're not leading to a lot of conflict between the two of you. But yeah, maybe you run a more regimented household. Maybe, you know, it's more black and white in your household and maybe your ex has more of a laid back household. There's still value in your child seeing both of those perspectives. So keep that in mind too. Just because it's not your way doesn't mean that it's wrong um, and try to keep an open mind about that. So along the consistency lines, um, we do often see or hear complaints of maybe one co-parent after the separation jumping from house to house or job to job or relationship to relationship. So one of the things that we want to just kind of put out there is that st stability is also very important to children, you know, in this transition after separation. And in Pennsylvania, when judges make decisions about custody, they have to look at 16 different custody factors. And we've talked about these before in a previous episode, but one of those factors actually includes the stability of a parent. And so it's really best to try to provide as much stability and consistency as possible for your child. Um, so obviously, you know, there's a little bit of a grace period there. Like when you first separate or divorce, um, there might be a lot of inconsistency going on. Maybe you're moving into an apartment that you're just going to rent for a short period of time before you kind of move into a more permanent living situation. Um, and that's okay. And maybe you're returning to the workforce for the first time in a while. So you try out this new job and it's not what you wanted. Um, so you're going to, you know, get a different job shortly thereafter. Again, the courts understand that and that's okay for that transition period. Um, but where issues can arise is when a parent is, you know, moving homes every year or changing jobs with the seasons. Um, that that can be a red flag to the court that the parent can't provide the stability that the children need to thrive. Absolutely. And the one thing I will say, because I've had a couple of clients actually express this fear to me is, um, you know, they're, they're going through a divorce and maybe um, their ex is going to be staying in what was the marital residence. And so they're very afraid that the ex is going to have like a leg up because they're staying in the home. So does that mean like they're going to get the kids more because the kids won't have to move or have a new bedroom or a new house? Um, and I, I try to kind of assuage some of those concerns, you know, in a divorce the book, two of you are not going to stay in the same house. And so it's not uncommon that one person does stay in what was the marital residence, the family home. That doesn't necessarily give them like a leg up that suddenly their custody case is, is so much stronger and yours is so much weaker because you're in a different house. Um, moves happen in a divorce and separation. That's the nature of the separation. So I wouldn't be too caught up on that one fact that suddenly like your case has gone down the tubes just because your ex wants to stay in the house. So I, I do hear that actually more often recently. And so I just wanted to bring that up. 
The other thing where we talk about stability is with relationships. So a court does not appreciate necessarily if a parent is routinely bringing new significant others home, introducing them to the children, the relationship ends, there's a new significant other, and it's just a vicious cycle. Um, and it, it also could be detrimental to the children to constantly be exposed to new adults. Maybe they get attached to your significant other, the relationship ends, and they're having to deal with those feelings of loss because that that adult is no longer you know, a loved one, a support system in their lives. So that's not to say that you can never introduce a significant other, but it's being cognizant of, you know, how long have you been with this person? What is the future of your relationship? Is it someone you've been on one date with and suddenly you're bringing every person, you know, that you've been on a single date with to the kids? Is it someone that you've thought about it and the two of you see a future and this has been, you know, going on for a little while and this is just the next step is meeting the kids and starting to integrate your families. Maybe um, that's a very different scenario than I'm just constantly bringing people in or I'm constantly moving in with people and then moving out and having to find new housing. Um, those are all things that a court would be a little bit concerned about when it comes to stability, consistency, and also what's in the best interest of your children. Absolutely. And one of the other situations we see very frequently, I would say, is, you know, parents getting caught up in the quality of time with their kids versus the quantity of time. And what I mean by that is it is very, very common for me, at least um, to have a new client come in at like an initial consultation or something or that initial meeting and say, well, we're doing 50-50 custody. And they're just set on the idea of 50-50 custody that that needs to happen. This is especially true when parents are initially separating, I think, um, and they just feel like they need to jump into that 50-50 shared custody arrangement. But, you know, we, we do kind of encourage you to think big picture here. Um, what does that mean to you? Because, I mean, one parent might have a work schedule or other commitments where it, it's not just, it's just not possible for them to do a 50-50 exactly um, custody schedule. So I usually say, you know, focus on, don't necessarily get lost on the exact number of days and counting days and counting overnights, even though that's kind of what the law implies, but focus on how to maximize the time that you do have with the kids. And that's usually what we're kind of looking at when we're kind of creating options for custody for parents. Um, this may involve trying to be a little more flexible with a schedule to, to accommodate, you know, work schedules or travel for work. Some people, you know, have to travel quite a bit. Um, and so we often try to set up ways where parents can kind of look at a calendar maybe each month and figure out which days the kids will be with each parent um, so that there can be a lot of, again, we're kind of assuaging the the stress level, right? And saying, okay, I know that I'm going to be home on these days. I'll have the kids on those days. And the other parent can also plan uh, accordingly for the month and they don't necessarily feel like they are having to wrap their own time around the traveling parent. So again, communication is key in these situations where you have maybe tricky schedules, um, but don't get wrapped up in saying, well, I have to have at least this number of overnights each month or I don't have 50-50 custody. Um, that can just add stress to the mix that is maybe unnecessary. And I promise you, your kids 
aren't counting those overnights, right? I mean, they they don't know um, if you give them a schedule and they're just like, okay, we'll roll with it um, most of the time. So they're not necessarily counting or critiquing, okay, I had exactly 50 percent of the overnights with dad this month and I had exactly 50 percent of the overnights with mom um so you know we say focus on making the most of the time that you have and especially avoid complaining about the time that you didn't have enough time or you didn't get enough time or making the kids you know feel bad about days they are with the other parent so avoid all of that um because again you're putting stress on the kid. Now they're feeling guilty. Now they feel like maybe they have to go back to the other parent and say, why couldn't I go with this parent on, you know, this day or whatever. I mean, it just leads to a lot of unnecessary um, communications and issues in the co-parenting relationship. And remember, if you don't have the schedule you want right now, that's okay too. Um, try to be as present and involved with the children in the time that you do have. Again, maximize the quality of time that you have with the kids. Um, try to start new family tr- traditions. You know, put away those electronic devices and just spend the time together. Um, play the old school board games. Those are those are big favorites in my household. Um, read a story, throw a ball around, whatever it may be so that your children feel like you are actually present during the time, even if it isn't as you know long or as much as you may want. And then obviously realize that custody is always modifiable. So just because you don't have the schedule that you want right now doesn't mean that you can't build to that. Things change, jobs change, um, schedules change. So you might actually be setting yourself up for more time by having good quality time now. Absolutely. And having a good attitude at the very least, like with the kids about the schedule is important. So you may be in the middle of custody litigation and right now you hate the order. It's a terrible order. It's not fair. All of those things. And you have every right to work on that with your attorney or through the courts, do all the things that you need to do But when you're with your kids, have the smile on your face, even if it's tough, act excited about the time that you do have, do all of those quality time things we're talking about. um, And that's what they're going to remember. But if you start the visit with, we only have eight hours today and I'm so sad about it. And I miss you so much when you're with the other parent. um, You know, that's not starting off the visit on the road to success and, and having that strong relationship with your child. And depending on the age of the child, you know, you have to be really careful with that. So Alex and I both serve as guardians ad litem on cases where we actually represent the interests of the child. And so we interview children um, for custody cases where we're the attorney for the children and the parents have their own attorneys. And then we report back to the court as to what the child says to us. Um, And you would be shocked what a child will say about the demeanor of the parents um, in their respective households. And it is very true that we've heard children say, you know, mom or dad is just always so angry at, you know, the other parent and, you know, they're, they're grumpy all the time and they don't spend this time with us. And I just go to my room because they don't spend the time with us or pay attention to us. So keep that in mind that in the event that you are going through litigation, a guardian ad litem certainly could get involved. And, um, you know, you might be shocked as to what your kids say and the observations they're making of you. Absolutely. And so the next thing we want to talk about um, is another don't, and it's don't post 
everything on social media. We are not here to tell you that you can't be, you know, sharing the memes and posting pictures of your your pets all dressed up like, you know, I may be nice to you. <laughs> um, but it's the negativity, the talking about your ex in a bad way. It's the talking about the courts in a bad way. You would be shocked how many times, you know, I have received a copy of a message or a post that a party has put mocking a judge, you know, denigrating the court system, talking negatively about lawyers, judges, court staff members, you know, anyone involved in the process. And judges do not want to see that. And that could be the nail in your case. Um, and, you know, could really be a deciding factor, especially when it comes to things like credibility before, you know, a judge or a fact finder. You don't want to start off, you know, your trial by exhibit A is this post you had talking all these terrible things about the judge who is then going to make a decision about your children. So keeping that off social media. Um, also, it's not just what you share. Sometimes it's the comments that you may make. Some people don't realize maybe you're in a, um, a mom's group on Facebook and someone is sharing a story about a negative experience they're having with their ex. And you chime in thinking you're trying to support that person. You're sharing a similar experience, just, you know, commiserating a little bit, not realizing who else is viewing that comment, who else is seeing that, whether that's your ex, his, his or her family, um, somebody that knows your kids that's then going to take it back to the kids. Um, so it's, we understand the need to share and to vent and to have a community. We're, we're by no means saying that that is not important or something that you should have, but it's keeping it off the internet, keeping it in a place where it's not going to get back to your ex. It's not, you know, hopefully going to be used against you if you're in custody litigation. Um, and, you know, we've been talking actually a lot about litigation and how things can be used for you or against you, which is certainly important. But also I think taking a more bigger picture is, just how that those things that we are doing, whether they help or hurt you in litigation, how are they help or hurting you in your co-parenting relationship? Like, think about it from the other perspective. How would you feel if your co-parent was blasting you on social media on a regular basis? It's going to be really hard to trust that person, to work with that person. So even if you're not litigating, even if you're going through mediation or the collaborative divorce process or just keeping your family out of court, you know, you just have to think about how these are things are going to be viewed from the other side and trying to minimize or stop those behaviors um, is ideal, you know, when it comes to co-parenting. Absolutely. And I will take it one step further from like the litigation perspective. I mean, when our clients come to us and we're about to go through like a custody trial or something where we're going to be presenting evidence and our clients give us a string of evidence from social media. I mean, you better believe we're slapping an exhibit sticker on that stuff and that's going to be what we're going to use. I mean, that is what attorneys are trained to do is to show the judge, here's really what's going on, judge. And here's what they're saying about you. And here's what they're saying about the other side. This is the type of person they are. And, you know, even though that is like one shot of like, like maybe the behaviors that a, a parent exhibited, 
we're blasting it. Um, and that's just what attorneys do, unfortunately, um, is that you have to kind of present the best case to the judge for your client. And so just keep that in mind. And I know we've talked about it about a million times before. Is just think about like a little judge sitting on your shoulder and judging you anytime you write a text or draft an email or send something, you know, on social media that um, just, just know that there will be other eyes on that and it will come to light especially if you have an attorney involved. So, you know, at the end of the day, no matter how tumultuous your relationship is with your co-parent or your ex, again, Alex mentioned it at the beginning of this podcast, it is very likely that even if you don't like each other, which is fine, you probably still have the same goal in mind. And that is that you want your children to be okay, right? And if you if something happened to your child or there was like a medical emergency, you know, I'm willing to bet that both parents would kind of put their emotions aside, come together and make the best decision that they feel like they can make for the child, right? The same can and should be true for co-parenting. You know, it's obvious that no matter what the relationship is, both of you want your children to be healthy, happy, well-adjusted, not anxious, not stressed, not feeling guilty for for any reason. So you really just have to check your emotions, put them aside when you're interacting with your ex and, you know, make sure that your children are at the forefront of the decisions that you're making. And even after hearing all of this, and maybe you feel like, you're doing the right things and you're interacting in the right way and your ex just isn't there, you know, there are some other resources available. Um, Maybe you can propose looking into co-parenting counseling with your ex. I mean, those are great sessions where you can kind of come together and just talk about how you're co-parenting with each other, how it can be better, what are some of the struggles. Um, Mediation is another option where you can go to a mediator to kind of help you with some of the conflicts you're having with your co-parenting relationship. Um, But, you know, you both really do need to take this seriously in that this is something you have to work on. You know, maybe maybe if you were married, that relationship has ceased fine, but your co-parenting relationship is forever. It doesn't matter that kids emancipated 18. Your co-parenting relationship is going to last forever. And on top of that, the the lasting impression of your co-parenting relationship on your kids is going to be forever. Um, again, remember those aces. This is very important stuff. You need to work on this. And I think at the end of the day, what we would want everyone to take away from this is maybe you're listening to this podcast thinking, I'm doing all the don'ts and I'm not doing all the do's. You know, I've I've ruined this. I'm in a terrible spot. That's not, you know, we're not here passing judgment on anyone. We're not trying to scold anyone. What we're trying to do is say, if you're newly separated, here's a framework for moving forward. But if it's the separations years in the past and maybe you've done some of the things and you wish you could change, now's the time to make those changes. Like if you've done things in the past that maybe you're not proud of, wouldn't reflect as well on you in court or in co-parenting, um, you can always change that. And you can always start focusing on the do's and not doing the don'ts um, today. Like there's there's no time like the present to make some positive changes. And courts really appreciate that. Like I have had cases where there has been incredibly contentious co-parenting and they can barely speak and they're not interacting at the kids' events and they get, maybe they got into a huge fight at a baseball game or something like that for the kids. And it has been 
ugly, for lack of a better word. But if one parent shows or both parents hopefully show that they've taken steps to go down a better path, to work on co-parenting, to work maybe on themselves in order to be better co-parents, courts really, really appreciate those positive changes. So if you have gone down a bad path, that's okay. Let's let's focus on the here and now and what we're doing in the future. Don't be discouraged by if you if you're listening to this thinking, oh, I've done all these terrible things wrong. Look at it as how you can grow and how you can be better moving forward for your children. I agree with that. That's such a fantastic point, Alex. I have actually seen that in one of my cases as well, where there was a dramatic shift. My client was kind of doing some things where they were putting it all in writing and they were saying all of these pretty terrible things. And then like a year or two later, we did a modification and you are absolutely correct. The court was very forgiving because they saw a pattern you know, with that year or two leading up to the modification that um, my client was actually doing much, much better and being more open with communication and stop the negativity. And the court was very, very forgiving for that client. Um, so great tips and great points. Um, but that's, that's kind of generally what we have as to how to avoid the custody crazies. Again, we're not trying to say you're crazy in any way. You're not crazy, I promise. Um, but these are some of those behaviors that you just want to maybe avoid to help with having more of a productive uh, co-parenting relationship. And again, just remember what you're doing it for. You're doing it for the children. Um, so keep them always at the forefront of your you know, communications, interactions, behaviors, and you'll be just fine. So that's all we have for you today. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Donuts and Divorce podcast. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to email me your feedback at doneal at boklawfirm.com. I do make every attempt to read everything, but I can't necessarily respond directly to you. I may use your questions and comments as inspiration for new shows. Remember that the Donuts and Divorce podcast is intended as a general reference and is considered general advertising. Any listener should check for changes in any applicable laws and should consult with an attorney on any legal issue. No attorney-client relationship is formed by listening or participating in this podcast. The information provided does not constitute legal advice and any thoughts or commentary by the podcasting lawyers is provided as a service to the community and does not constitute solicitation or legal advice. Any information provided is on an as-is basis and the lawyer and law firm make no warranties and disclaims all liabilities for damages resulting from its use. Nothing provided in the podcast should be considered a substitute for advice of competent legal counsel. And in the event the podcast receives emails about the subject matter, no attorney-client relationship is created via that email communication. Thank you. Thank you.